welcome to the Tiny Campaign Podcast, Episode 1, The Early Stuff. Running from friends, or maybe now enemies, I see my mother cry. It was a dark and stormy night. Tarkel had just been persuaded, with pitchforks and torches, to leave his home village, Sipa. Not having had time to prepare, the only thing he had on him when the mob descended was his money pouch, a small antler-handled knife, and a sack full of lard rolls. He had been working out a bargain with the miserly apothecary Marty when he was assaulted by Gerbold, the town cleric and superstitions manager. Gerbold's athletic pig-carrying son Arik was only too eager to lead the chase, and Tarkel just barely managed to lose him because he knew all the hideouts and could fit through the small alleyways. Heart beating fast and frightened for his life, Tarkel ran up to the farthest getaway he knew, a scrub of bushes around a boulder halfway up the slope to Brandy Peak. He and Foda only came up here on long nights when they were assigned shepherding duties or were gathering mushrooms, and it would take more than one day. The scrub and the boulder protected the hideout from the wind, but not much else. After spending a night in the hideout, hearing the villagers yelling for him in the valley below, Tarkel decided he had had enough of the bullying. Enough of the lies, and enough of hiding. He gathered what was stocked at the hideout, a large piece of oiled canvas he and Foda would prop above them during the rain, a stubby candle, some small pieces of flint, a battered pot with a lid, and a large old notched camping knife. He had several choices, making his own way through the forests with what he had, moving to one of the surrounding villages, or sneaking back to his village to get supplies and perhaps have some sort of farewell to his mother and risk being caught by the angry mob. He wasn't sure what Gerbold would do if he got his hands on him. He didn't want the cleric's healing touch. Sidebar, the Mount Moray area. Mount Moray is the largest mountain in North Castle Province, and either third or fourth tallest in Tenland. The Mount Moray Plateau consists of three large peaks and two large valleys going down its southern side. All water runs south toward the Tamar Plains. Brand Valley is the largest of the two valleys, and it goes all the way up to the tallest peak, Brand. Moray Valley is the broadest and most fertile, following the sloping side of the mountain and surrounded by small, gently rolling foothills. Topo Village is primarily half-orcs with a few humans. Sipa Village is primarily humans with a few hobbits. They don't really get along, but after the Orc Wars, they made a grudging truce. Most full-blood Orcs have either died or been killed. Grenville is approximately 30 miles away, if you go the easy way, down the road along the Brack and then up the main road following the Moray River. It's only about 15 miles if you go over the various peaks, cliffs, and foothills. Out of the Village Best to leave all that behind. It's not worth what might happen. Besides, my woodcraft is decent. I'm sure I can get to another town without too much trouble. I pack up my things and break camp, heading south toward Topo. Along the way, I walk through the small creek east of town for a bit to discourage anyone tracking me, and then we head cross-country through the woods. While walking, I keep an eye out for some of those wild mushrooms. It would be good to have something more for dinner than a cold biscuit. Survival check. 2 plus 2 equals 4. Assume I don't find anything. After hiking for most of the day, I slump down against a tree, feeling rather miserable, not to mention hungry. I take a nibble of one of the rolls, unsatisfied. 
damn it. Why did they have to do that? It's not like I was trying to do anything wrong. It's all that bastard Gerbil's fault. If I hadn't come by, I wouldn't be out here. Pounding my fist on my leg, I look down to see it changed. My fingers are larger, hairier, and more rugged. I take a deep breath, concentrating. I've closed my eyes. When I open them again, my hand is back to normal. I sigh, lean against the tree trunk, and take another bite of the roll. After chewing for a bit, I decide that it's too dry to eat without a drink. Groaning, I push myself off the ground and start stumbling on in search of fresh water. Stumbling dejectedly down the slope toward the creek bed, Tarkel suddenly looked up when he heard yells and whoops echoing through the trees. He was surprised he'd gotten this close to the gallivanting group. They were certainly doing nothing to conceal their frolicking energy, and he quickly scuttled his way behind some thick bushes and peered down into the valley below. About 100 feet down, he saw bright flashes of skin and sunlight, and he heard loud laughter and yells, followed by big splashes. He didn't recognize the deep voices, and he was already at least three or four miles downstream from Sipa, so these must have been some of the people from Topo. Something about it made Tarkel's gut wrench. Here he was, chased out of his own village, and down there, Topo boys were leaping and splashing in the stream as if there were not a care in the world. Tarkel was parched and near starved, and these young men just had to choose this section of the river to swim in. Swallowing his annoyance and perhaps some other emotions, Tarkel hunkered down behind the bushes to decide what to do. Finally, he decided he just didn't want to deal with it right now. Creeping away, he made his way upstream, maybe a quarter mile. Who'd want to drink water those things had been swimming in? And drank some. Then he pulled out his roll again and started in on dinner. Perhaps it was best he didn't go to village Topo. He might have been starving, but by the way his guts were twisting around themselves, he was thankful he didn't have to deal with any people. He didn't have the energy to make himself presentable, much less likable. So he scrounged around for something to augment his cold rolls. 17 plus 2 survival is 19. He makes a pretty good haul. Two taro-esque tubers, several herbs and greens, a handful of loganberries, and some pine needles and mint to make into tea afterwards, plus three more of the rolls. Without any rope to find, Tarkel curled up under his oiled canvas and spent his night alternating between staring at the stars and fitful sleep. In the morning, Tarkel woke cold and stiff and not at all that well rested, and started munching grumblingly on a roll, looking around at the forests around him and trying to figure out what to do. He didn't much feel like just waltzing into a close village, especially if they recognized him. After seeing the young men goofing around, Topo just doesn't feel right. He remembered some acquaintances living out in the woods. Braskell the shepherd, who never liked Cleric Gerbold, nor society neither. But Tarkel never saw him do bad. There's a monk living up near Little Brother. The Pascal family, with their eight children, quiet woodsman father and rotund merry mother, all of whom were more noisy together than Tarkel thought possible. Then there were the more distant villages and towns where Tarkel would be less likely to be recognized, but they were far away, and he'd need to find some way to supply himself before then. But as he ruminated angrily over stale rolls and mint tea, he noticed his slippery hands changing with the mood, long-fingered and delicate when sad, median grown over with hair when annoyed. Maybe he could fit in a topo if he could get himself to keep the same blasted shape. Changes in his teeth made eating an annoyance. Sighing, Tarkel packed up and headed out into the woods. He'd never been one who felt out of sorts being alone, but he didn't much like being forced to be alone. The Shepherd 
I grimace, then nod, best to make my way towards the shepherd. What was his name again? Brasco? He'd be out of the way, which is good. Uh, maybe I can buy some meat for the road or something. And even though I like kids, it's probably best if I avoid any distractions at the moment. It's taking enough concentration to stay myself as it is. I wouldn't want to end up getting run out of that house as well by turning into an ogre or whatever it was I did a couple nights ago. That would be bad news. I pull up my money pouch and count my coins as I begin walking towards Braskell's house. You sneak up the out low outer wall. It's about shoulder height and made of stone. More for keeping the sheep in than the beasties out, though it'd also be good against boar and bear and wolves. There's no motion in the small hut. Braskell must be out keeping an eye on the sheep in the middle of the day. However, something that smells delicious is wafting in from the house. Stomach grumbling, I move to the gate. If it's locked, I'll just climb over the wall. Otherwise, I open the gate and walk in. Hello? Is anyone home? So much for being sneaky. The gate is locked, and it's a quick scramble over. Nobody's home except for a few sick sheep in the small stall at the side of the house. There is very yummy-looking stew sitting above the oven. Well, hello, you say, moving into the house. You snag a bowl sitting on a shelf above the oven and stuff yourself silly on excellent mutton stew. What have we here? A voice asks as you're washing up. You spin around, wide-eyed, and there is Braskell, his sheepdog at his side, staring at you from the door. You're the baker's boy, aren't you? He asks. I fumble for a moment and drop the bowl. Um... Yes, sir. Tarkel's my name, sir. I came looking for some food, sir, and I didn't find anyone home. I meant to ask you, sir, but you weren't here, and I haven't had a hot meal in a couple days. I pick up the bowl and offer it to him with a sheepish grin. Weather. Late summer, the in-between when leaves are turning brown and things are cooling off, but not cold. It's one of the prettier times in the mountains because the hot plains aren't pulling the fog off the ocean in the summer heat, and the winter storms are a good month away. Braskell smiles slightly, a vision you have never seen before. He is always frowning when he comes into town. Now you're starting to think he doesn't dislike people so much as he dislikes groups of them. Baxter, down, he says to his collie, who's been staring at you menacingly since the shepherd opened the door. The collie lowers its head obediently, tail flicking between his back legs. Go watch, Rascal says, giving the worried sheepdog something to do. And as the collie bounds out toward the sheep and leaps effortlessly over the fence, Rascal closes the door. Take as much as you like, Rascal says, waving towards the pot. Plenty where that came from. There's a stool there, too, unless you prefer to eat standing up. Um, thank you, sir. I'm really sorry for coming in like that. I was planning to wait for you by the gate, but your stew smelled so good. I pull out my rather light purse. I don't really have much to pay for the meal, sir, but if you'd like me to work it off or something. He smiles gently at you, wrinkles springing up around soft blue eyes. He reminds you of the land outside. Humble, calm, and beautiful, sometimes brooding as an approaching storm. I could use a strong back and some able hands, if you're sure you don't mind sheep. I smile back. I think I can handle that. It's getting late in the evening, and Braskell sets you up a bed. I don't have a spare bunk, he says apologetically, grabbing a bale of hay and an old quilt, but hopefully this will work. He unties the bale in an empty corner of the room next to the door. We can feed the sheep with this tomorrow, he says, scattering it a bit. 
and lays out the blanket and searches for another blanket. It's not your bed at home, but it's a lot better than sleeping outside like you did last night. You fall into it and are almost immediately asleep. In the morning, you're awoken to Baxter, the dog, licking your face. Ugh! You say. Nice to see you up, Braskell says from the stove. You smell what you are sure is a feast and look around to see Braskell's made porridge with dried cherries and sheep's milk. After a delicious and rather silent meal, you're very concentrated on your food and didn't realize you were wolfing it down until after it was all gone. You look up at Braskell expectantly, wiping your mouth with the back of your hand. There's a bunch of things I've not been able to get done while out with the sheaves on pasture, Braskell says, gazing serenely out the front door. I've got strips of cloth to patch the blankets and sweaters, but never got around to it. And then there's all the canning. There's a long list of things that need to be done, and gradually you realize they're all inside, out of view. I guess I should give you a tour, Braskell says. Here's the cans. Just look through the kitchen for whatever you need. There isn't much. Braskell gives you a quick tour of the things you'll need for the day, and then takes you out back to the small shed where he keeps the sheep's feed. While he's explaining how he cultivates the fields, he taps his boot along the shed floor, and one board sounds hollow. Feeling grateful, you watch from the safety of the house while Braskell and Baxter let the sheep out of their sleeping pen and into the yard, and then herd them out the front gate and into the hills. I go ahead and start on the chores, grateful to be able to pay Braskell back for his hospitality. Around mid-morning, when I'm taking a break from the canning, I decide to try and practice some of the shape changes. It seems like the sort of thing that would be useful to get to control better. Closing my eyes, I concentrate on becoming smaller, more inconspicuous. I hold an image in my head of a halfling, about the same size as Foda, and I begin to feel myself begin to change. Dude, I so want Braskell to walk in on you. <laughs> Fortunately, he doesn't. You don't think Braskell would be phased by shape-shifting, at least not like the villagers and not when you're making yourself smaller. But still, trying it out in someone else's home makes you nervous. You balance two empty cans by the door as an alarm, then crouch behind Braskell's bed. After a few moments, you don't feel anything different, but when you open your eyes, you notice that you're a lot more securely covered by the bed frame. Then looking at the spoon you clutch in your hands, it's gotten about twice as long. Ha! You exclaim in triumph, standing up. And your pants fall down. Embarrassed, I pull up my pants and tighten my belt. I'm going to have to get some better clothes for this sort of thing. Now I'm curious. I haven't spent much time as a halfling. I walk over to the window and stand on tiptoes to see outside. Assuming Braskell is not on the way back, I start exploring the house, trying to get a feel for dealing with everything when it's so much larger. I'm not going to head outside. I'm not feeling that confident yet. But I will check out the whole inside of the house and see if there's anything interesting. Nothing all that interesting. Well, you had your hopes up, and there are no secret letters that say Braskell is part of a secret adventuring band or part of a coup to overthrow clerical government. But there are some suspicious aspects to the house. First, the floorboard that sounded hollow does have a man-sized space below it, and you find a money bag that contains coins you've never seen, and you doubt are Tenlik. Then there's a small packet under his pillow that, when you open it, you find a lock of hair. As far as you know, Braskell's never been married, but apparently he has a lover? 
Brasco comes back when the sun's getting ready to set, and you two set about the evening preparations in what you feel is slightly tense quiet. There isn't a feeling of danger or anger, and you don't think Brasco's going to kick you out, but it's obvious Brasco had something on his mind, but it's taking him forever to bring it up. Finally, while cleaning up dinner, he looks over his bowl to you. I'm not good about talking, and I don't want you to feel like I'm kicking you out, but you're being chased by the villagers, aren't you? What gave you that idea? I smile in innocently for a moment, then sigh. Yes, you're right. It's all Gerbold's fault, though. I didn't do anything. And he suddenly starts ranting about how I'm unclean and a danger to the community. It was all I could do to get out of there with my skin. I look up at him sadly. Do you want me to go? <laughs> no, Rascal says with a smile. Then he touches a finger to his nose conspiratorially and leans forward. But I might know someone who can help. Really? Who? You don't mean Eric, do you? He was one of the guys chasing me out of town. <laughs> no, he says with a disdainful grin. Not that oaf. This one's a little more... woodsy. Rascal leans back, then notices all the pots and pans that need to be washed. What a mess, he murmurs. Let's get cleaned up and rested up, and then we can head out early tomorrow morning. Sounds great! I eagerly help with the clean-up and get ready for bed. That evening, it's a lot more difficult for me to fall asleep than the past few nights. For one, I'm not as tired, having stayed in most of the day. For another, I'm excited to find out what Rascal means. I lie awake for a while, trying to quiet my racing mind. Woodsy? Maybe he means one of the rangers. Woodsy. The unfortunate side effect of not sleeping well is that you're exhausted the next day when Braskell wakes at dawn, but your exuberance pushes that aside. You know that weird feeling when your body is so tired it aches, but you're so excited you don't feel it until you slow down? The morning is gray and dusky and beautiful, and Braskell is personably quiet. You help him drag hay to the sheep pen and then pack up a lunch of cheese and bread and the apricot preserve you canned yesterday. And then, as the sky lightens, you hike down into the valley. The trees shade you overhead, and the creek bubbles happily by your side. This is your favorite part of the valley, and you realize how much you've missed being able to just enjoy it. Following Braskell through the woods and far away from your village, you feel safer than you have in a very long time. And you realize, perhaps, just perhaps, leaving your village was a good thing. Braskell pauses and then pulls out a whistle. He plays a strange, hauntingly beautiful tune, and after it's done, he stands in silence for a while before tucking away the pipe. There, he says. She should be coming fairly soon. I'll have to settle down and wait. So I sit down and wait. I try to make some conversation with Braskell, but I can't come up with anything to say that wouldn't disturb the mood. So eventually I just shut up. Rascal starts getting restless when the sun approaches the zenith of its travel, and my silence becomes antsy again. Well, sir, you helped me out in a pinch, so it's only fair for me to do the same. Let's go! I start off a few feet down the trail, and then stop. Um, who are we looking for, anyway? Rascal looks worried, but then he glances back at you. A small smile creeps across his anxious expression little nip off the old block, he says, except with quite a few more 
leaves. Um, all right, sir, whatever you say. I start looking around for any signs of tracks for someone being here. Survival check. Eight plus one is nine. <laughs> yeah, you don't see anything. Lucky for you and the plot, Braskell rolled an 18. Oh dear, he says, looking at the ground. All you see is some scattered leaves and forest, but when Braskell bends down and extends a hand, you see smeared mud on the rocks and dislodged moss. Braskell lifts a leaf, looking crestfallen, and you notice that there is no tree around that matches this leaf. Is that from your leafy friend? He asks hesitantly. After a moment's silence, Braskell nods. Yes, he says, standing, his eyes following the trail into the woods. And apparently several others. Going that way. All right, then. Let's go get him. Lead the way. You and Braskell make your way up into a small offshoot of the valley, one you hardly recognize, but Braskell becomes tenser and tenser. Eventually, you see, peeking above the trees, the outline of a large building. It's time to sneak. Stealth! 16 plus 7 is 23! Awesome! Noticing Braskell getting tense, I draw my knife and whisper, Do you know what's going on? Braskell nods tersely. There's been some tension between the fairies and a new rebel faction. You may have noticed. <laughs>